Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. It's episode number 530, and we're looking forward to a great show tonight. Now, we've got viewer questions, comments that you've sent in through our email on Facebook and YouTube, and we're really looking forward to diving into that mailbag. We love uh, receiving those from you. Um, also, we've got a really cool device here that is going to convert any um, air conditioning unit that has a remote control. So this is like the window air conditioner, or the one that's mounted on the wall in your house. It's not a smart AC unit is not able to be connected to things like smart thermostats. But what this device will do is it will turn it into a smart device by becoming a wireless app connected remote control for you. It's called Sensible Sky. We're going to be looking at that in just a couple of moments time. Sasha. Here's what's coming up in the Category 5.TV newsroom. The in-browser mining of cryptocurrency is becoming a serious issue. A new machine is going to print metal parts at a tenth of the cost of today's manufacturing systems, potentially launching a revolution in small part production. Keep your iPhone 10 warm, otherwise it might not work. And Intel versus AMD? Forget about it. The Arch Rivals are working together to bring out a new hybrid. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every single week on Roku, Kodi, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN. And the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show. This is episode number two. Uh, no, two. <laughs> two? Can you imagine? Yeah, we just going back in time. 5.30. 5.30. Wow, Welcome. 5.30. And yeah, nice to have you here. Uh, tonight, I want to say hey to all of our new viewers. Hey, some of you, like uh, BP9, are longtime viewers, but this is your first time being able to catch the show uh, live at this time. So if you're catching it live, hey. Uh, if you're watching this on demand or on cable TV, nice to have you here as well. Thanks for joining us. And it's certainly a pleasure. Now, we'd love to get to know you. So when I say, you know, those who are able to watch live, that's cool. That's on a Wednesday night on our website, category5.tv or through any of our channels. Um, but uh, if you can't be here live or if you're watching on demand just for any reason, I mean, cable TV is a great reason. You exactly. want to catch it on the weekend? Sure. Tune in. Uh, well. But uh, we love to interact with you. We love to get to know you. We love to um, receive your questions, which we're going to dive into tonight. That's true. Yeah. I will tell you, if you're watching this live and you're not in the chat room, what are you doing? Yeah. Get there. <laughs> but hey, I know that not everyone can watch live. And in fact, most of our viewers are not watching live. You're watching on demand. You're watching uh, through our RSS feeds or Cody, YouTube, Plex, uh, on Channel 33 in the high desert. Um, but we want to hear from you even if you're not here 
while we're here in the studio. So get on onto our website. It's category5.tv. You'll see the contact us button and that's where you can submit your questions, your feedback, your comments, your praise, whatever you want to send us. Uh, you can do that through our website at category5.tv and that is, uh, that's, that's what we look forward to every week is hearing from our viewers and getting that feedback. So thank you for those of you who have participated so far. Um, Dead Effect 2 VR. It's a video game that runs on Steam. We're giving away a bunch of copies. All you have to do is email contest at category5.tv. Sasha, what do they need to send us? Really, they just need to send us an email, tell them where they're watching from, um, how you're watching. Just send us the email. We'll draw, I guess, one every week for the next 10 weeks. <laughs> 10 weeks? Yes. Whoa. Ten weeks. Ten weeks. That's like the duration of a computer build on Category that's how, 5. That's how long it takes to build a wow. computer. Ten weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so absolutely send us an email. Very good. Very good. Okay. So your gaming computers have been going pretty good. I heard some rumor that Dave is struggling with Linux and that's okay. He is. It. It's hard for him, I think. Hard for any of us. Yeah. And... What? And I, to be honest, am like, I'm a little bit like, rah, 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 Linux without yeah. really knowing what it takes in, in full capacity because I always have Robbie to fall back on, <laughs> right? But then it's a little bit different for Dave who wants to do things kind of as much as he can solo. Yeah. So. Dave being her husband who, um, who we built a, well, Sasha built a gaming rig for, but we put Linux on there. And if you're curious about Linux, it is an open source operating system. It's an alternative to Microsoft Windows. It's fantastic, but it is a real leap in order to just jump into that when you're used to Microsoft Windows mm -hmm. or Mac OS or whatever else. Now, I'm in the same boat because, um, as you remember, Microsoft Windows 10 update broke my laptop. So it's a nice i7 laptop, but the update itself broke my laptop. It won't turn on anymore. Um, so what do I do? I kind of bit the bullet and said, you know what, forget this. Windows broke it. I don't want Windows anymore. And so I put Ubuntu on there, 17.10, uh, so the latest version, not the long-term support edition, but the one that is going to roll into the next LTS in April. But it is tough even for me because I'm having to relearn how I am used to doing things on Windows. And, and it's not a real huge learning curve, but hey, CyberLink PowerDirector, the software I use to produce the shows, mm -hmm. doesn't work on Linux. It's a Windows-only program. So that's a real tough thing for me. Right. And so I can see if, yeah, if you're used to playing games on Windows and you run an EXE or an MSI file and that's how you do it, right. you're not, it's really tough to get your head around the difference and yes. the change and then maybe having to use an alternative so so i'm in that boat right now oh so i'm looking at blender blender is used for 3d video production uh really cool stuff like you know you see cartoons um like think about shrek and the way that mm -hmm. that looks uh i don't know what software they use probably maya or something like that but that kind of uh, video production but it also has a video editor built in and i love it but i'm having some you know there are some quirky things about it that i don't like and that may be my mindset being used to windows and i'm trying to learn the a different way so right. i can absolutely absolutely empathize with Dave and those of you who are trying to take that leap entirely into Linux. But the cool thing, Sasha, is that yeah. Dave can install Microsoft Windows on that computer in what's called a dual boot environment. 
So if you're Good. not, yeah. So if you're okay. not quite ready, if you're not, uh, I mean, Linux is fantastic for everything, like surfing the web and doing your gaming and stuff. But if you're having trouble with one particular thing, like in my case, uh, video production, right? I may boot into Windows. And then when I'm done doing my video production, I can reboot and go back into Linux and use that for everything else. Okay. So in Dave's case, he might want to do that and install his Windows games, right? Exactly. But then it comes with the caveat that, yeah, I had a dual boot on my laptop and Windows Update destroyed everything. It broke it. So um, have an image of your hard drive, have a backup, be ready for it because it may happen. It doesn't always happen, but hey, Windows doesn't care about the fact that you're dual booting they just run their update anyways and and overwrite stuff so um so you do have to watch out for that be ready mm-hmm. for it be careful so yeah. that's the only kind of warning i would give you i guess i mean it's better to dual boot than it is to just switch over to windows for me i'm like stubbornly well, sure, resisting yeah. it right like i i really want to have linux in the house yeah, like yeah. that's my that's what this computer I mean it's for Dave but also yeah, yeah, yeah. like so to but have it's, the it's dual a big boot, leap yeah it's a big huge leap and it's funny it's like just little things because he loves it 83% and then right. the rest of it he's just like oh I kind of want windows <laughs> yeah yeah when you're so. used to a certain way of doing things absolutely mm-hmm. so dual boot may be the answer Yes. What do you folks think? What has your experience been? Uh, what do you suggest that, um, that Sasha and Dave and other uh, and viewers in particular who are thinking about experimenting with Linux and, and trying that operating system out on their computer? Uh, if you're not sure what we're even talking about, if, you're not, <laughs> if you don't know what Linux is, head on over to Ubuntu.com. And I say that like as if I expect you to know how to spell it. Uh, it's U-B-U-N-T-U. Com. It's a South African word. It means the spirit of community and mm-hmm. unity. And uh, it is a, a Linux operating system, a free operating system that you can install and try on your computer. And uh, it replaces the need for Microsoft Windows. But again, if you're using particular applications, it can be a bit of a learning curve or having to use alternates. Right. If you use your computer specifically for internet and more and more progressively these days, it's like you're using Google Docs and online things that don't actually require Windows. Windows applications to be installed. Um, you can install Chrome on Linux and do all of your online stuff, mm-hmm. but it keeps you safer because we don't have the problems that Windows has with uh, viruses and malware and things like that. So, uh, so it's definitely a, a good thing to look at. So check it out, ubuntu.com. Um, Sasha, we've got to take a really, really quick break. And when we come back, we've actually got a device that is going to turn your standard air conditioner unit into a smart AC. Very cool. Complete with an app on your mobile device. Stick around. We're going to show you how to do that coming up. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, You'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit Category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners and thank you for watching. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. BP9 in the chat room as we're live here on a Wednesday night says, Robbie, for a strong machine like Sasha built, why not run Windows in a virtual machine? So what is 
that. Ah. <laughs> Okay, so virtualization and that system would handle it like a beast uh, is um, the ability to install another operating system into another operating system. So imagine um, booting up into Ubuntu and then opening Windows as if it was a program on your computer. And within Windows on your computer, you can then do the things that Windows does. Right, okay, so that sounds um, amazing. Amazing. is that is there any problems? Are there like is it or pros cons? The problem that you're going to run is that this is specifically a gaming rig. So being a gaming rig, you want the highest frames per second you can get. You want to be able to do the the best, most seamless gaming, and you want to have a great gaming experience. So. Um, in a virtual machine, you're not going to get the same frame rate that you're going to get on bare-bones architecture, the Windows operating system running on the computer, or the Linux operating system running as the core OS on the computer. So in a virtual machine, you're going to lose some of that frames per second. You're also going to lose the ability to, say, just plug in an Oculus Rift and have it work. Because remember that it's a virtual machine. So it, how does it emulate an Oculus Rift in virtualization? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that, uh, how that tra- translates, but keeping in mind that when you plug a device into the computer, it's now then piped into the virtual machine as a virtual device. That can affect performance in gaming, especially now in a server environment, virtualization is fantastic. In an mm-hmm. office environment, hey... I could probably run my, um, you know, if I had a powerful enough laptop, which I don't, um, I could run a virtual machine with VirtualBox, install Windows 7, Windows 10, and have CyberLink PowerDirector in there for all my video editing. But uh, that requires a lot of power. Mm -hmm. But in a gaming standpoint, I don't know that it would perform quite as well as we need. Um, All right. So that's, uh, that's great. Chatroom, thank you very much. Nice to see you all. Uh, who have we got? Albuquerque Turkey joining us. Ben Rob 0329. Nice to see you. Rev Don. Hey, nice to see you. Um, Lyndon. Yeah, Lyndon. Okay. All right. Wow. And I just kind of I just read a couple names off the top of the list there. But uh, now we've got your viewer questions, comments. We're going to be tackling at uh, 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 just in a couple of minutes' time, just after our uh, our review here. But first. I want to look at the Sensibo Sky. This is cool because we think about smart devices. We think about mm-hmm. the ability to, you know, I have a Nest thermostat at my house. So right. that means I save money by running a thermostat that intelligently figures out when I'm home, turns off the AC or the heat at that time, mm-hmm. and then when I get home, it turns it back on. Or if I'm, if I'm making the trip home, if I'm leaving work, and I know that the house is a little bit cold because I can bring up the app, I can turn on the heat from my app, and right. then by the time I get home, it's nice and cozy. So Sensibo Sky takes it kind of to another level because, of course, um, Nest and smart thermostats like Nest, um, they require a hardwired central air conditioning unit, furnace, those kinds of things. It's a hardwired connection. Sensibo is completely different. You want to know? (laughs) How is it completely different? So you picture an AC unit that's in your window or um, like a, uh, you know, if you've got a a heat exchanger, you know, there are all kinds of devices that you might use. um, But I think in particular of, you know, the wall hanging um, uh, AC units, not central air, but AC units that use a remote control. Yeah. Right? You use a remote control to adjust the temperature. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, My AC back in the apartment before we got central air at the house, um, 
it had had a remote control. It was just in the window. Right. It was a great little unit, but you had to be home to adjust it. And there was no intelligence to it whatsoever. So what Sensibo does is it's an app-connected device through your Wi-Fi, and it then allows you to control your AC unit that has infrared remote control technology. You can control it from your app. Okay. Okay, so you think about an AC unit that has a remote control. As long as it has an infrared remote control, Sensibo Sky is going to be able to control it. So let's get into the box and actually get a look at what this, uh, what this device looks like. So here we are. This is the box for Sensibo Sky. And nice little device. Let's just get right into it. It's, it's so super simple. I mean, here's our step-by-step -step instructions. Download and install the app. Follow the instructions in the app, enjoy, and keep cool. Those are your instructions. What? Simple, simple. So there it is. That's the Sem Sensibo Sky. Um, as you can see, let's get some of this wrapper off of here. There we go. I'll just stick that over there. And we've got a little bit of a kind of a like a double-sided tape kind of thing going on over here so I can just stick it to the wall. It's also got a, a mount that I can screw it into the wall. Um, and then here we've got uh, USB micro input and what looks like some kind of a data port. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure on that one. It almost seems like it's maybe a connection for a, a connected furnace or something. I don't know what that is. We'll look it up. You can look that up as well. I don't think that that's going to affect our use of it today. might be for firmware updates and things like that as well. Further in the box, how simple is that? Now, it, Sensible Sky is powered by USB micro. As I mentioned there, it's got just the USB micro jack. So it comes with a, what looks like a good long USB micro cable. Oh, yeah. Ho, oh, oh. There we go. Good length on that. Anyway, so... Because it's USB micro, it, it's going to work anywhere in the world. We don't need to have any fancy adapters. We don't need to have any anything that's you know extra special to work overseas or anything like that. Now it came with a, a little power brick here so that I can plug that in as well. The brick that it came with is um, it's one amp. So it doesn't need a lot of power. Most of the uh, bricks that you already have are going to have 2.4 amps or even higher. Um, so this is, you know, this can be powered by basically any um, any little USB power cable that you have. So I'm just going to simply plug this in like the instructions say. So I'm just going to plug in the USB, and we'll see what happens here. If I can do this kind of blindly, there we go. And now the Sensibo logo is. It's kind of flashing blue there on occasion. So I'll just kind of set that down there. Now, I've got this really cool thing on my phone called Miracast, and it allows me to, in fact, bring up my phone on the screen for you. So I can actually do that. So how cool is that? So let's bring up the Sensibo app. There we are. And back here. So the first thing that I need to do is select the uh, Sensibo Sky. That's the device that I've purchased. And it says connect your Sensibo Sky device to the power outlet, which I've done, um, and then hit next. Now it says find the QR code located on the back of your Sensibo Sky device and click next. Okay, so on the back of my device, sure enough, there it is. It's itty bitty. Is my camera going to be able to read that? Let's see. Okay, so now I can see the camera there. Let's see. Oh, it's choppy, but let's see. Oh, it actually did it. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Choose an icon and name the AC. 
Okay, so I, I I'm gonna say this is. Uh, can we call this living room? Okay. We're just we're basically pretending because we don't have an AC unit here at the studio that we can use with this. So we're gonna say living room. Next, and I'm, I've left it as the default uh, device. Allow Sensibo to allow this uh, to access this device's location. All right. Uh, in order to complete the setup, Sensibo needs to get right settings permission. The permission is needed to check Wi-Fi. Um, and uh, after setup is complete, you may disable this permission in Settings, Apps, Configure Settings, Modify System Settings. So, right settings permission. Okay, we're going to enable that. We're going to trust that this is all good because Sensibo is a legit company. And what do we got here? Modify System Settings. Does it just let me... Why is it taking me to other apps? Hmm. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go back to Sensibo. Do we see it? Ah, there we go. Living room. There we go. Okay. So now I don't have an AC unit um, connected to this, as I mentioned, but you can see up at the top right-hand side of the app there. Do you see that on your screen at the left? Uh, we've got um, humidity levels. We've got a uh, temperature gauge as well. And what's neat about Sensibo is it allows us to... Um, actually control our um, AC unit, not only the on-off state of the air conditioner, if it's got um, a wireless remote, it's going to be able to control it, but it also allows us to control the fan um, setting, and it allows us to do that from anywhere in the world because the app is connecting to the internet, and the internet is then communicating back with our Sensibo device, and that is, um, is controlled by this app. So... Cool. What does it say? Okay, so please observe the indication LED of this device. Count the number of blinks. Okay. One. 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 Okay. In order to complete the set setup... Okay, I did that. Oh, maybe... Oh, that's why it took me here? It wants me to turn on... Oh, it needs the right permission. Okay. It allows the app to read or write system settings. It needs to read those Wi-Fi settings. So this is kind of interesting, Sasha, because what mm -hmm. I'm reading that it's actually doing here right. is it's making it so I don't have to program the Sensibo with my Wi-Fi settings. It's going to glean those oh, from okay. my phone's settings. So now that I've got that set up here, let's go back to the Sensibo app. I've turned on the access. Let's see what it does differently. could not find Sensibo device. Make sure your GPS is turned on, your phone location settings. Oh, and I've learned, I've lost my Miracast. Sorry, I'll just reconnect there for you. So this is just kind of the initial setup that you're going to go through. It is pretty, you know, as you see, it's pretty straightforward. It's telling me what I need to do. Um, let's retry, see if it gives me a connection this time. Searching for your Sensibo device. And looks like it, uh, okay, to connect your smart AC to the internet, please select. So, okay, so Sensibo is now detecting all the different Wi-Fi networks. And my, <laughs> apparently when it does that, it knocks off Miracast. So that's why I lose the connection there. I'm going to try to bring up the, uh, the screen here again for you. There we go. So it's detected all the local uh, Wi-Fi hotspots. I'm going to tell it which one is mine. And then right. I need to tell Sensibo, okay, what is my password? So I'm just going to enter that here. Mm -hmm. 
I have a really strong password, so bear with me here, folks. I have possibly a... I, I, it's a simple kind of question. Password one, two, three. No. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, how does that connect to your actual Wi-Fi? Or not your Wi-Fi. How, how does it connect the AC? to your AC? That's what's cool. So you think about your AC unit that has a wireless remote control. Right. It's infrared. So as I control Sensibo with my phone, with the app, I'm actually triggering a wireless remote control signal, infrared, from Sensibo. So, okay, so then it's, it's not like Sensibo is talking to the remote, it's talking to the AC. Sensibo correct. becomes the remote. You could have lost remote. your remote completely. Sensibo Sens- is the remote. Absolutely. That's oh, correct. Okay, so it's, I got it. So you that's it? how it's communicating. I think yes. I've got it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> cool. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go again here. What kind of blinks have we got? One. One. Okay. Maybe I entered my password incorrectly. Let's try again to connect. Here we go. I'm going to try one last time, Let's folks. See. Never a good idea to talk and type your password oh, at the same time. That was all me. <laughs> no, it's me. Configuring. Oh, starting AC Wi-Fi connection. And I've lost Miracast, but I'll fire that back up for you. There we go. Waiting for Sensibo. Oh, and I lost Miracast. Apologies. Let's bring that back up. Oh, I see what's happening here, Sasha. What's it's that? connecting direct. My phone is connecting directly to Sensibo. It says to use Miracast, oh, okay. disconnect the other Wi-Fi direct connection. Ah, that's why. Okay, so I can't really use Miracast uh, at the same time that we're doing this. So it's trying. It wants to connect through a Wi-Fi connection. It's almost acting like a hotspot. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. Okay, so now Sensibo is connecting to my Wi-Fi network. Right. I can't bring it up on the screen because as soon as I do, I'm connecting to my Wi-Fi network and then I lose access to the Sensibo. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So essentially, that's all there, there is to the setup. So you see that this is flashing away. It's, it's getting the configuration and it's connecting to the network. This is now your wireless remote. So through your, um, through your internet connection, through the app, you're able to control your AC unit. All right. So yeah. then is there also like benefits as far as like if you were to leave the house, like the, the phone app, does it know that you're leaving? Yeah, that's what's kind of neat too, because Nest does that. Nest knows that, right. hey, if I've left the house, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. it starts saving me some energy because it's, uh, it knows that I've gone. So Sensible right. does the same thing. Once my app, uh, once my phone has left the Wi-Fi network, it knows that I'm no longer there and it, uh, and it, acts accordingly so i can program it to say hey let's turn off the ac unit at that time i feel like they need one of those for my hair straightener (laughs) (laughs) that would be a neat idea i think yeah definitely as a safety precaution Um, so of course you know setting up something like sensibo here live on the tv show is a little bit tricky and uh, as it goes through the connection settings and, and I'm trying to show it on the screen at the same time. I've probably monkeyed up a couple things. The setup itself is very easy breezy. Mm-hmm. As you can see, you know, the steps are well defined uh, in the app. It shows you everything and it's stable and uh, it tends to work very, very well. So 
give it a look. Head on over to cat5.tv slash sensibo, and you'll be able to pick one of these up. Great gift for, uh, for Under the Tree this year. And uh, certainly, you know, if you know somebody who has, or if you have a, um, an AC unit in your window uh, or in the house that uh, is controlled by an infrared uh, controller, then this is definitely something that will uh, be a benefit to you. I love that it turns it into a smart device. True. It saves us energy, and it makes it so that I can control it from anywhere, no matter where I am. That's perfect. There you have it. That's Sensibo. I apologize that I did have, you know, I'm, I'm waiting on a couple connection things, but that's, that's what it is on live TV. But um, check it out cat5.tv slash sensibo. We've got to take a really quick break. When we come back, we've got your viewer comments, questions, and we're going to tackle a couple of those before the news, and then uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be right back. You've got mad skills. Now hone them. Learn new skills or improve your existing ones with online video tutorials and training from lynda.com through our special link at cat5.tv slash lynda. Learn software, technology, creative, and business skills you can use today to help you achieve your professional goals. Join today and start learning. We'll give you this chance to try it absolutely free with unlimited access to all of the courses. Sign up now for free, cat5.tv slash linda. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Welcome to the show. You'll find our website at category5.tv. And those who have, love to send us emails and comments, questions, and we do our best to bring those up on the air. So head on over to our website if you'd like to submit yours. If you've got a question or a comment related to the show or technology in general, we'd love to receive that. Sasha, what, uh, what have we received so far this week? Well, Brittany Marie... Um, hey, Brittany Marie. Yeah, ...has said, okay, so... Read the following from Wikipedia, which describes the design intent for the Raspberry Pi. So this is in relation to the Raspberry Pi killer oh, yes, we did, right? Yeah, last week. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And tell me if you still want to call the Oidroid the Raspberry Pi killer. The Raspberry Pi is a series of small, single-board computers developed in the United Kingdom by the Raspberry Pi Foundation to promote the teaching of basic computer science in schools in developing countries. I just find the term killer to be a poor choice considering the Pi's target market and its immense user developer hobbyists community. Do you still think that that fits? Don't get me wrong. I love the Odroid and I'll probably order one. (laughs) But there's still a bunch of things that we would still be running on Pi's in my house. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And Uh, and the whole Raspberry Pi killer (laughs) is a tongue-in-cheek comment, Brittany Marie. You know that's true. (laughs) And really what it boils down to, I mean, it's the power. It's the strength of this thing. So if, if you put David against Goliath you expect Goliath is the, the, the one who's going to win, even though it didn't quite work out that way. But in this case, <laughs> a bad example. <laughs> so Raspberry Pi for the win. <laughs> yeah. No, but okay, Raspberry Pi is a completely different market. I look at it this way. I want to build stuff. I want to tinker. I want to do, I, I want to build things that do things. That's what the Raspberry Pi is to me. That's what being a maker is to me. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to develop. I want to be able to try new things. I want to be able to change my mind, go back, wipe it, and start over. Um, So the Raspberry Pi does that and does it well. It's perfect for that educational, get your feet wet, all that, okay? Now, when, when we as makers get to the point where the Raspberry Pi is no longer 
powerful enough. And it is behind the times. You have to admit, Brittany Marie, it is behind the times as far as technology goes because they haven't built a new one in too long. And, and so the, the technology has shifted. Right. Like it doesn't do 4K, right? Uh, well, I'm not sure. I think it might. But, uh, but the technology itself, as far as processing power, RAM, those kinds of things are far behind. The fact that it has a very, very slow USB 2 controller with um, S, um, SD card on that controller, it's very, very slow that way mm-hmm. as far as um, throughput goes. For, for But it, it's great for so many things. So don't get me wrong. The Pi is amazing. The Pi 3 especially. But if, you're, if you get to that point, Brittany Marie, where it's no longer sufficient power-wise and strength-wise, and uh, then it's time to bring in Goliath and say, you know, I want something that's got more power. I want something that's got more RAM. I want something that runs faster. I want something that does away with SD and switches to EMMC mm-hmm. and has USB 3.0 and gigabit Ethernet. So, right. uh, so Raspberry Pi killer? No, that's that's tongue in cheek because the Raspberry Pi has its place. It's a very cheap SBC, and uh, it it definitely is is good for a lot of stuff a lot of stuff and does a lot more than you'd ever expect it to do yeah i actually i have two raspberry Pis that i yep. use i have one at work that we use just specifically for playing music oh yeah mm-hmm. volumio uh, volumio mm-hmm. yeah and then i have one at home that we use the retro pie like just cool. we use it for retro gaming like yep. and the thing is i love them both so right. much yeah absolutely there's definitely a place for it yeah so but Thank when I want to build something that has a RAID controller mm-hmm. and is able to render 3D video out of Blender in a reasonable time and has eight cores on its processors, yeah, then. you know, you know what, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm picking up what you're laying down, uh-huh. Robbie. Uh-huh. <laughs> And there are other SBCs that are inc- like I'm looking at the the Fitlet Two, which we we're going to be reviewing coming up, and it is so incredible. Like the the specs on it, I think it's got 16 gigs of RAM, and so. a, and a 64 gig um, uh, M2, I believe it has. I mean, we're going to be reviewing this in the in the coming uh, in the coming weeks. So, uh, but there are some devices that are coming out that just blast past the Raspberry Pi 3, but they're different use cases, mm-hmm. absolutely different use cases. So, thank you very much for your comment. <laughs> um, okay, so we have one from Cav. I believe it's Cav One Stilts. We'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she's close. <laughs> I'm. I think I'm close. This is why I give her all the reading, <laughs> so I don't have to try to pronounce things. And he names that her names. I don't know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay. So I have been staring at that red laptop in front of Sasha for the past few episodes. Please tell me what computer is that? <laughs> I am extremely curious, as I am an Alienware and MSI Apache owner, but couldn't oh. figure out what system is in front of her with the mighty big screen. Seriously, you have no idea. <laughs> Thanks, and keep up the great work. By the way, I loved Orville and hated that they what they've done in the name <laughs> of Star Trek with Discovery. I was already disappointed with those new Star Trek movie reboots, mixing up the Star Trek canons, characters, and timelines as a supposed follow up to the original um, what they have done with Discovery is criminal. So, two things. Mm-hmm. One, I agree with you. Orville is awesome. Um, so, my computer like for actually what it is <laughs> like it's a red Toshiba. It's a red computer. So but you're talking Alienware. Like you're talking like really high end stuff compared to a Toshiba. Mine, yeah, mine was a gift from Dave. It, Funny, and it does he got the me job, this, eh? And I got him that. But. 
<laughs> oh, burn. Oh. But oh. <clears throat> this was like the Christmas gift he got me, I think the first Christmas we were together. Right. Right? So just like a like a really nice. He asked me what I wanted. I said I, I need a laptop. There you go. And then, it's done really well. And you've had and different flavors of Ubuntu and, exactly. and right Zorin now, OS on there. Yeah, right what now is it's it Mate. Running, it's running Mate now. Mm-hmm. It was running Zorin. I love Zorin too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Cool. There you have it. It's <laughs> literally just a little Toshiba notebook. And it is it is pretty sweet though. I like the, the bezel on it. It's good. Yeah. It looks good. It's, it, looks cool. it works really well it for works. me. Yeah, she uses it as a teleprompter in a chat room computer. <laughs> That's right. I use it like it's, it's, it lives here yeah, at the studio. Yeah. <laughs> but it has done me well. So awesome. Fantastic. Thank you for your question. Speaking of teleprompter, we're going to head on over to the news. And we do have more uh, of your viewer questions, comments uh, that are going to be coming up in just a couple of moments as well. we'll stick around. Uh, but in the meantime, Sasha, over to you with, uh, with the newsroom. Awesome. All right. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category5.tv newsroom. The in-browser mining of cryptocurrency is becoming a serious issue. A new machine is going to print metal parts at a tenth of the cost of today's manufacturing systems, potentially launching a revolution in small part production. Keep your iPhone 10 warm, otherwise it may not work. And Intel versus AMD? Forget about it. The arch rivals are working together to bring out a new hybrid. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Weston. Yaman. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? You're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cat5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. This is the Category5.tv newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. It has now been confirmed the crypto jacking craze that maxes out your CPU is exploiting at least 2,500 websites. A researcher has documented almost 2,500 sites that are actively running cryptocurrency mining code in the browsers of unsuspecting visitors, a finding that suggests the unethical and possibly illegal practice practice has only just picked up steam since it first came to light a few weeks ago. William DeGroote, the independent security researcher who reported the findings last week, says that he believes all of the 2,496 sites he tracked are running out-of-date software with known security vulnerabilities. He further explained that these vulnerabilities are being exploited by the attackers who then use their access to add code. The code secretly harnesses the electricity and CPUs of visitors to generate the digital currency known as Monero. About 80% of those sites, he added, also contain other types of malware that can steal visitors' payment card details. Oh, It's not just smaller sites that are affected either. For example, when the researcher visited the Australia Subaru page, which contained the code, the CPU on his MacBook began spiking and the fan could also be heard. 
He says, besides putting a noticeable strain on my computer, the site also draws additional electricity from my office. The arrangement allows the attackers to reap the benefits of my hardware and electricity without providing anything to me in return. There are other indications that the in-browser crypto mining racket is getting worse, too. In a report published Tuesday, endpoint security provider Malwarebytes said that on average, it performs about 8 million blocks per day to unauthorized mining pages. Huh. Whew, that's a lot. Okay. Oh, yeah. I know a lot about, like, the cryptocurrency Bitcoin, but I don't know anything really about... Yeah, we about... hear a lot about Bitcoin. Yeah. Bitcoin is the one in the news all the time. Right, right. right. Mm. So what is Monero and how and why, and does Bitcoin do this too, but how and sure. why does Monero need to leach CPU and Oh, well, I mean, a crypto, and... cryptocurrency mining is the process of using many computers, hopefully you have many computers at your disposal to do this, uh, to, um, to generate revenue through cryptocurrency. Uh, and by doing that, and, and the way that Monero is doing it is a little different because um, just the whole nature of um, kind of the back-end engine, there's JavaScript that's, that's allowing both malicious and good, you know, good, well-meaning folks to, mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to mine Monero. Um, they can do this in a browser, which may, kind of changes the, the whole kind of idea behind it so cryptocurrency of course has to be generated by mining which you know i don't pretend to really overly understand it's very very in-depth and when you go from bitcoin to monero it's different and you know but similar in many ways Um, monero is completely as far as i understand completely anonymous though where bitcoin it is anonymous monero uh, bitcoin isn't like they can't necessarily track it back to you mm-hmm. but th- every cr- uh, transaction that happens in bitcoin is trackable to the public id of the account where oh, monero okay. is completely private the public id doesn't reference the transactions whatsoever so people can't see how much money you have and things like that so what happens here is that mm. okay so um basically like i could if i wanted to cut the ads down on our website mm-hmm. i could add code that would allow my website to use your computer to mine Monero. So basically generated re- generating revenue by way of cryptocurrency for me. Uh, which, in you know, if I were open and honest about that, which I would be, uh, and said, you know, click here to say yes to this and to accept this, then that would be fine and that's legitimate. But mm-hmm. what's happened here is that somebody has picked up on this capability of Monero and the JavaScript behind it and has turned it into malware so that it distributes itself to all different websites that don't necessarily authorize it, whose users don't authorize it to do this. And so now they've got this massive farm of computers, 2,500 servers that are infected. So every computer that visits those websites are now um, mining cryptocurrency for not Subaru and not the company that's running the website, but instead the the malicious person who has created that malware. So that's where, you know, it's a very fine line of here's something that could have been used for good and it's already being used for naughty purposes. I have a question about the idea of like creating Monero. So can Mm -hmm. I do that at home? Could you do it at home? And just yeah, install the mining software, and right. but you've got one computer, and you know, but, good luck making any money on it. You're gonna, you know, c- cryptocurrency mining takes a lot of 
CPU okay. power, and that's why they do that's this. Why? That's why, okay. yeah, it's like we've talked about botnets and things like that. You, you need a supercomputer to be able to do this kind of stuff, and maybe mm-hmm. that's why some of these botnets exist. Right. Maybe they're mining currency. I don't know. Um, yeah, you could do it on a single computer, but you need to leave it running all the time. And would it offset the cost of the hydro that it uses in order to mine that uh, that cryptocurrency? Probably not. Right. Ugh. Thanks, Ravi. No problem. Speaking of supercomputers, there is a new machine that's going to print metal parts at a tenth of the cost of today's manufacturing systems, potentially launching a revolution in small part production. Desktop Metal, based in Boston, USA, has opened up pre-orders for its studio system, which uses inkjet-like technology rather than laser-based technologies to produce precision metal parts. The system isn't cheap. It's $120,000 to buy outright or $4,000 a month for 36 months. But compared to other ways of producing metal parts, especially in small numbers, it could be a game-changer. Sure, there are already CNC machines that cost from thousands up to hundreds of thousands of dollars, but this fat gizmo is supposed to be a challenge to that. The printer will be made available in mid-2018, at which point the company hopes to expand even further with a product ver- production version of the machine. The production version will offer 3D printing at 100 times the speed and the 20th of the cost of current systems. Traditionally, metal 3D printing has been used only for prototyping, given the slow speed and high cost of making each part. Once a design is finalized, it then goes to traditional extrusion and casting methods for bulk production. Desktop Metal claims to be able to turn that model on its head, bringing the price down so significantly that it may be cheaper to use its system for many products rather than requiring expensive tooling equipment to be created for bulk production. It can print items with a range of metals, including steel, co- steels, copper, and titanium using commercially available powders. And what makes their solution unique is the printing process itself, as well as the quality of the parts manufactured. The 3D printing system works in much the same way, except in three dimensions, placing a layer of ink, or in this case metal powder, on top of a previous layer. It's not that simple, of course. The machine also sprays plastic, a plastic binding agent and layers of wax in a very specific, specific pattern. The final printed part is placed in a debind fluid that breaks down most of the wax and most of the plastic before being placed in a furnace where the rest of the binding agent, which has a boiling point of just below the metal, is burned off, leaving just the metal. The metal fuses, creating a density of between 96 and 99.8%, according to desktop metal. Amazing. Final finishing then completes the process. 3D printed parts are still going to work out to be more expensive than bulk production in the traditional ways, but the cost reduction means that producing a small number of units is going to be cheaper. In some cases, that may mean that a company would not need to buy bulk product parts at all. Unbelievable, yeah. I love this idea. I'll tell you, I worked um, as a college student in a car manufacturing plant. So we're talking about like really big steel metal parts and stuff, right? And so I'm I'm sort of familiar with stamping of metals and, um, you know, some of the more... 
I guess, injection molding things. So mm -hmm. I have an idea of what like a big scale situation would be, but then I don't quite understand small scale. My dream here with this kind of technology, you think about the extruding systems and think about the quarter of a million dollar machines that are doing that extruding process and doing um, the molds and everything else. So picture if you, so right now, and this is a problem that we've had uh, ever since the automobile came into existence, and we'll use that as the example. Mm -hmm. um, there's such a demand on the automobile itself that in order for a car manufacturer to be able to manufacture a car, they also have to manufacture millions of parts, mm -hmm. spare parts, mm -hmm. so that 10 years from now, when people are still driving that car, they can still right. source those parts, right? So we've got this overabundance of waste material that may or may not even be used right. um, and they really don't have any way to know and and so the cost is uh, you know the, the the cost is unimaginably cheap if you can get a machine for one hundred twenty thousand dollars that'll print parts right. um, versus having to print that many spare parts so you think about that and then think about taking your car to a shop and you know how many times have you heard this oh it's it, the part will be here at the end of the week and we can install it on monday mm -hmm. so instead how about this um yeah, oh yeah, we've got the uh, the 3D rendering for that uh, for that part. We'll we'll manufacture that for you this afternoon. We've got one of those machines in the back. Can you imagine? Right. So now the responsibility comes off of the automotive manufacturer uh, to source these parts, and now they can instead source blueprints and 3D renderings that now um, a, a shop themselves who right. could easily invest $120,000 in one of these 3D printers can now create their own replacement parts. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Amazing. So, you know, better for the environment, better for, you know, the earth in general and, and just the, the, the amount of waste that there must be in, in these kinds of big manufacturing industries. Mm -hmm. I, have, I have a quick question about the actual way they, they do it because they're saying inkjet technology versus laser or inkjet-like technology. Right, yeah. They call it inkjet-like because you think about an inkjet printer going back and, and forth and printing uh, multiple colors, right? So this is printing oh, okay. um, multiple layers of the, the various metal materials. I so lasers this. are quite a bit different and, and quite a bit more expensive because you think about um, lasers have to superheat the metal and they're very, very expensive. They're mm -hmm. big. And, uh, you know, the cost of a laser 3D printing machine is unbelievable. That's why right now they print one part and once they've perfected it, 3D printed that one part, then they take it to the traditional extrusion right. process and all that kind of right. stuff. So um, this would, if the cost of that was lower, oh. then they wouldn't have to like make dyes and, and things to oh, actually. Oh, yeah. And the machines themselves. Mm -hmm. And can I change modes just quickly before we move on to the next story? Mm -hmm. And we're using the example, the example of the automotive industry. Um, on the SuperVet, uh, my wife and, uh, and my daughter Tally uh, watch a show called the SuperVet. There was a, a poor dog who had a tumor growing on its head. Mm -hmm. And in order to operate on this tumor, they had to remove part of the dog's skull. And right. they were able to save this poor animal. And the animal survived and is, you know, lived a great life after that. How did they do it? They 3D printed a replacement part in metal of that dog's skull. 
and replaced right, and replaced they it. replaced the portion of the skull that was that had to be removed so it really would work well on all, oh, on so many levels that's like what a stark contrast from building parts for uh, an automobile to saving an animal's you, life you know what i would print if i could out of metal new frames for my glasses like a ton all the time oh all the time i feel like i want a new look you know what? i got bondic and and bondic works really well for that kind of stuff it's <laughs> a plastic welder and that that's pretty cool <laughs> i kind of want to bring it on the show just because it, it has saved so many little components that i've been fixing with melted plastic yeah it's neat i love it when things like this just are developed and they they become i mean i realize right now the price point is high but the fact that it exists means that eventually the price is going to be lower we could talk about this forever but you think you know one company invests in that machine now let's rent it out to other companies let's take that automotive part manufacturing machine and let the vet (laughs) the local vet rent it out and use it right why not no limits. What what ideas do you have for this 3D printing metal machine? All right. Spaceship parts on Mars. <laughs> All right. So back to some phone issues. Apple's $1,000 iPhone 10 may have trouble operating in the winter weather. This is according to multiple complaints from owners, as well as an admission from Apple themselves, that in cold temperatures, the OLED touchscreen and the expensive new handsets can become temporarily unresponsive. When taking an iPhone X outside in chilly weather, users have found that the device struggled to notice finger swipes and gestures. The iPhone X uses a 5.85-inch OLED display, and apparently it is particularly sensitive to changes in temperature. The timing of the engineering blunder is going to be particularly troublesome as the autumn weather turns to winter for most of the world and temperatures drop. Hmm. So, I mean, I I realize that phones have, like, they've been getting a bad rap right now because, like, it seems like every phone that's released, there's something that's happening. Yeah, yeah. This one is interesting because, I mean, touchscreens, you're now that they're always available you expect them to be super responsive so to have something leggy it's going to make you like especially in the canadian winter can you imagine so (laughs) is it i wonder the fact that the temperature of your finger in the cold weather would be the same as the temperature of the phone because when you think about it going outside your hands get cold and your phone is cold but it's not going to really notice that Mm. like if it's sensing warmth from your hand yeah, I don't right. know. I'm not too sure how the, the technology works. I think it's it's easy to fall into thinking, oh, it's the OLED display that's a problem. Well, no, understand that the OLED display is the, the picture that you're seeing, and the, the touchscreen aspect of that display is a layer that's been added on top of that. Now, okay. Apple has uh, has announced that, you know, in, in a response to this news story uh, and the Reddit um, discussion that's been going on, uh, Apple responded by saying that they're going to fix it with a firmware update. So, of course, everybody oh. goes, what? Like, this sounds so much like a hardware problem because we're thinking along the lines of an OLED display. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's the display. It's got to be something wrong with the hardware. But think about that layer of technology that's on top of that display that allows the touch sensitivity and the multi-touch and, and being able to control it with your finger. And so if they're able to release a f- uh, firmware update that fixes this, then it tells us that most likely it's something to do with the underlying programming of that layer of the device. So right. the algorithms that essentially sense 
your your touch. So maybe they need to make it more sensitive. Maybe they need to monitor the temperature and, hey, when it gets cold, we need to increase the sensitivity because that layer is, you know, it takes a little bit to come down to temperature or something like that. I'm not sure, the, you know, we don't really know yet what the actual issue is. Right. I'm no we'll genius, I'll tell you, but I am going to just hazard a guess that it has something to do with cold fingers. That's what I, I think, think so? it is. I think it's the fingers and the phone. They're going to the tell us that you need to you need to breathe on your hands first before you use your brand new thousand well, dollar iPhone. And I have notoriously cold hands, so I feel like I I, I might not do well with a iPhone 10. This is where you know you, you got to get into controlling everything with Bluetooth, folks. That's right. That's where Pixel's got it right. See, control it with your headphones. That's right. There you go. <laughs> Intel has teamed up with arch rival AMD to create a powerful new processor. The unlikely pair are working together on a new unified chip that integrates Intel's core CPU architecture with AMD's graphic technology. Intel says that the new processor should deliver the same sort of gaming performance as current-gen discrete notebook GPUs, but in a smaller, less power-hungry size. This will allow OEMs and system makers to create thin and light laptops laptops that provide the graphic power that gamers and content creators look for. The innovation doesn't stop there, however. The newfangled chip will also carry a new low-power HBM2 graphics memory. This takes up less space and provides greater performance than traditional DDRS GPU memory. Intel said in a press release, the new product, which will be part of our 8th gen Intel Core family, brings together our high-performing Intel Core H-series processor, second generation high bandwidth memory, and a custom to Intel third-party discrete graphics chip from AMD's Radeon Technologies Group, all in a single processor package. When can we expect to buy this hybrid Intel AMD processor? as early as next year. Intel says that they'll be revealing more about the chip, including the branding and devices that make use of it in the coming months. Hmm. So that it blows my mind that in today's kind of climate that two rival companies would really like kind hey, of let's shake team up. hands let's and work say, together. let's do this. Let's build something better. And I can already see, like, it's going to be super beneficial. Like, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, how thin but, do we need to get here, Intel? Well, we need to get to the point that you see in all of the movies. Like, where, <laughs> where the, like, it, it's, it, the laptop is as small as a piece of paper. Like, it needs to be, Sweet. It needs to be thin. Sweet. It needs to get, like, ridiculous. The i7 powers, if I'm not mistaken, the, uh, the Apple... Um, macbook air mm -hmm. and that is super super thin that's an intel processor so if they're saying that hey this team up with amd is going to give us something even thinner could you imagine oh boy ah. that's going to be paper thin for sure man i love life <laughs> <laughs> Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category 5.TV newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category 5.TV newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. Thank you, Sasha. This is Category 5 Technology TV, and our website is Category5.tv. Welcome to the show. We've got your viewer questions, comments. We're going to jump right back into that. Sasha, what's next? Steve Delaney says... Hi, Robbie. Steve. 
<laughs> Remember my idea of your I of your phone being your main computer with three Type A USB ports for keyboard, mouse, flash drive. Yes, uh, I think they're doing that, man. Did you patent it? <laughs> Did you register the .dot com? I hope so. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Steve says I think that. Any cast device you showed might be better suited to this than, say, Chromecast. I read that Chromecast does not ah. mirror on all phones and only streams. I also heard that there is a two or three second delay between the phone and the screen. Ouch! So you can't play um, any phone games on your TV on Chromecast. Hmm. Worse, you can't really use a word processor because the time delay would drive you crazy. I believe you. That's it like me bonkers. when I type. Computer can't keep up. I'm like, I'm like a He's machine. Like the wind. Why Chromecast didn't just mirror is beyond me, since YouTube videos can be played in full screen mode. To mm. be honest, I've never even heard of Slimport before you mentioned it. Oh yeah. Huh? Does Slim anyone Slimport? Oh yeah. A... Let's get under the yeah, desk here. Yeah. That's this little guy that converts that USB port on your phone right. into what does it do? Full HDMI output for your smartphone. <laughs> How cool is that? Steve ends by saying, does anyone else except you care about the end user? I could have been They care, this but they use. just don't care as much. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> okay, so we have from Noah. Hi, Hi Noah. dear Category 5 team. I love to watch your show Every Thursday, it's very helpful and fun to watch. It gets really confusing for those who are watching on Sunday. Yeah. As they hear us saying, you know, it's Wednesday and you're watching Thursday and you're watching Friday. That's the nature of yeah. television these days, folks. That's how it works. Exactly. So you're watching Thursdays. Thanks for tuning in. Well, and the thing <laughs> is, Noah doesn't watch it live either because yep. in Germany, we air live at 1 o'clock in the morning. Right. So You so can't stay up? Come on. Noah we stayed up. <laughs> Noah. We're up at 1 o'clock in the morning, your time. <laughs> Noah watches on YouTube, which is awesome. So that's great. So um, Noah really likes how the, the guide on how to install the Plex Media Server on nice. the Raspberry Pi, which was yep. episode 459. Awesome. Um, so as soon as Noah saw that video... They bought, he bought a Raspberry Pi and installed Plex. Sweet. And since then, I've subscribed to the YouTube channel. So thank you for that. One thank you for your subscription. One question. Is there a way to watch the show on Plex? A way to watch the show on Plex. Plex. Yes. Get onto our website. It's category5.tv. So if I bring it up, category5.tv. And boy, it's hard to type on these little tiny things. I'll he types like what. the wind, he says. Yeah, but not when I'm holding it with one hand. <laughs> and they've got these crazy keys. Yeah. You guys see this? No, I'm serious. It's, I know that I digress, not. but these keys. What is all this? What is that gibberish? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so you get onto category5.tv, um, click on subscribe at the bottom of the page, and you'll see our Plex um, uh, add-on, which you can download Perfect. and install into Plex. The instructions are right there. You'll find it. We're also on Kodi, Roku, pretty much anywhere you want to watch. And you can subscribe via RSS feed as well. Um, so there's really, you know, we can, we can be watched on any platform pretty much. Yeah, including cable, Channel 33 in the high desert. <laughs> All right. Orange Man writes... Hey, Orange Man. Dear Robbie, I was given an old HP... ProLiant Pro server as the owner didn't need it. He told me that it overheated. That said, 
It was kept in a cupboard under the stairs with no ventilation. So it has 12 ah. gigabytes of memory. Wow. Um, and good. a Xeon processor with four cores. It's got five SATA drive bays and eight SAS bays, of which I sent you the drives. Okay. <gasps> so yeah, we, we thank you for that. Yes. I, hope you, I hope you saw the, the video. I've installed Ubuntu server on it, and I have cool. eight terabytes of di disk space with two times two terabyte drives. Okay, so two okay. two terabyte drives mm -hmm. and a four terabyte drive. I used it as a very large file server holding about six terabytes of data. And before you ask, I do have two backups of all the data. Good, because with, with four, three drives at four, Whew. two plus two plus four, that means you have no redundancy if you've got eight terabytes exactly. of storage. I'd rather see you with some redundancy there, like set up the two, two terabytes as a RAID 1. Right. Might be right. an idea. Yeah. So, so Orangeman knows that the server has a lot of processing power, but has some more questions. Oh, yeah? Is it worth adding another Xeon processor? There is space on the motherboard for a second processor. Is it worth adding more memory? Hmm. Okay. So, first, first um, who pays your hydro bill? Who pays for your electricity? Because those Xeons are um, electricity suckers okay. like they just drink it up and use it up um so um if you add another processor it's going to use uh, you know twice as much electricity as that old xeon processor so i'd imagine that this is an older server so uh, they used to be very inefficient that way so um so check out the processor find out how many watts of electricity it's going to use and then make that determination do you need the extra processing power uh the extra four cores or um do you think that it's better just to save the money on the electricity bill and uh and leave it as it is mm -hmm. but if your system supports it then, like, I've got a two CPU um, Xeon processor at home, um, which runs our Unraid server, and it is just a cost beast. Like, it costs me so much money to run it. I'm ready right. to deprecate it, but I need to move so much stuff over to, to get rid of it. Um, but it costs us. We bought one of those devices that tells us how much our electricity is uh, costing us. Oh, Plugged in the server. Oh, it was brutal. It was bad. It I was remember brutal. that. Like, we're talking half of my electricity bill was going to the server. You want to <laughs> you want to get rid of those old things. Yeah. Uh, Next question? Um, it can... Orangeman disconnect the controller board connecting to the SAS drive base because we have the SAS drive. Oh, dude! He kept the controller. Does that mean we don't have the controller? Sent us the drive, the yeah. drives, but not the controller. So right. we've got a bunch of drives, but we don't have a controller. So maybe send us that too. So you could send us that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we could use the drives. That would be cool. Um, but um, but y you can pull it or use it or whatever. I mean, it's it's in there already. But you've pulled the uh, the SAS drives. Can you use it for SATA? Yeah, if you want to add more drives to the system. Um, unlike SATA, SAS is backward compatible to S uh, to SATA. So SATA buses you cannot connect. Um, SAS drives, but SAS buses, you can connect either SAS or SATA. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure if it's as fast as a, I think it's only SATA 2, but um, you may want to check out the specs on that. Um, check your SAS controller as well, what the, what the specifications are. But yeah, that, that could be used for extra, extra headers for your SATA drives for sure. Okay. There's one last question. Um, why are there two 12 volt 38 amp power supplies and do both have to be plugged into the main power to make the server work and what does each power supply 
power. Oh. Okay, well, okay. think that this is a server, right, mm-hmm. Orange Man? So um, what that is, it's not two power supplies per se. Like, you're not getting two supplies of power. They're called redundant power supplies. So uh, part of a server, I mentioned having redundant storage. So having a RAID 1 means if one of those two terabyte drives fails, you've got the other one with the same data, so you don't lose anything. So then you stick in another two terabyte drive, it rebuilds, and you've not lost a thing. Um, similarly, servers are built to have redundancy in power. So if one of the power supplies burns out, which happens, um, it it keeps running on the other power supply. Um, So then you have to just pull out the broken power supply, replace it with a new one, and then you're up and uh, going, you're still up and going, but then you're you're back to having redundancy. So this is all because it's a server, so it's meant to be reliable and always on. So in a business environment, you don't want your server being shut off by a power supply outage, um, you want it to continue going. So that's where the redundancy comes in. Then you can just pull and replace the power supply when it's convenient. Similarly with the hard drive redundancy and everything else. It's all about redundancy on a reliable in-house server. That's what that is. Perfect. Thank you, Orange Man. And thank you for the SAS drives. Thank you very much. (laughs) I look forward to using them when we have a SAS controller because, as I mentioned, can't plug SAS into SATA. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hint hint <laughs> yep is that all the time that we have that's Sash? it that's wow that's it that's all can i show you the picture that just came up sure isn't that great that is a our, great we- one. our website um takes pictures of us as we're live on the air and that looks like it's like a posed picture but that actually is us that that's actually like. happened and it's like wow we just walk looks- around looking like that yeah we actually <laughs> that just looked like a posed shot and it was just random automatic by our website we've got some really neat tech here it's pretty cool stuff i love this show oh i hope you've enjoyed yourself and i'm looking forward to seeing you again next wednesday night we've got so many cool things happening i mean christmas is coming so we're looking at and companies are sending us stuff that they want us to show you so tell us what kind of stuff do you want to see now jabez has sent us some incredible wireless earbuds we're going to be looking at next week i'm really excited about these they're probably the best wireless earbuds i've ever ever had the pleasure of trying um, so you definitely want to see those. What kind of devices do you want to see? Because we've got boxes of stuff that's been sent in for Christmas, and we want to show you the stuff that you want to see. If you're thinking, hey, this is something on my Christmas list. I want to find out whether or not it's mm-hmm. any good. Maybe Robbie and Sasha could take a look at it for me. Let us know. Comment below, and if you're watching this on cable, head on over to our website, category5.tv, and you can comment uh, by clicking on to episode number 530. Excellent. That's all the time that we have for this week. So we'll catch you next week. 